John chapter 2 and I'm going to read the first uh, 11 verses John 2 verses 1 to 11 On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when, Peter, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him i'm sure that this is a narrative that we find in the word of god that we all know very well jesus is at the commencement of his public ministry and he's attended a wedding and in the midst of this wedding or wedding feast an embarrassing situation takes place for the host of the wedding celebration and to solve the issue Jesus performs what is the first of miracles that John records for us in his gospel and he sums it up in verse 11 this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So if you look at that verse, verse 11, there are three parts to this statement that John has made and they are this. This, the first of signs Jesus did the second one is manifested his glory and the third part is his disciples believed in him. Now, if I'd been one of those disciples, one of those guys that Jesus had beckoned to leave all and to follow him, I would have been wanting some kind of confirmation that in doing so, I wasn't going to be led on a wild goose chase or in a modern phrase today, 
I wasn't going to be led up the garden path. For imagine if you had been sat by the shore, mending your fishing nets, and suddenly this man comes by and asks you, in fact more than that, he tells you to leave the nets, to leave the boats, to leave your job and therefore your income, and to leave your family and instructs you to immediately get up and to follow him. I would want to know that everything about who he was and what he intended to do was legitimate. And perhaps some of these disciples were a little that way in their minds themselves. And yes, they could say following him got them an invitation to a wedding. Even more, they'd got to drink some fantastic or the best wine. But more importantly, after witnessing what they saw take place at the wedding, it says that the disciples were convinced that all was well concerning Jesus. And so much so that they believed in him. See, I think that the words they believed in him is a statement that shows us that they not only accepted who he was, but from that moment forward, they were willing to commit themselves to him. You may remember that later in the same gospel, it's just a few chapters later in John chapter 6, some of the lesser disciples, you understand why I use that phrase, some of the lesser disciples began to walk away after Jesus had spoken some difficult things for them to understand. And Jesus turns to these 12, who most, of, <coughs> who most if not all, may have been at the wedding, and he said to them, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so at this point, they were already convinced concerning Jesus. And it's also at this point that Jesus gives the first indication that although the 12 of them were willing to commit themselves to following him and to his ministry, that the day was going to come when one of them would betray him. And I wonder how often after that moment when Jesus had pointed this out, that when Jesus wasn't around and they were chatting together, they began to discuss what Jesus had said and wondering amongst themselves who this one would be. But I want us to ask this question this evening, what actually happened at the wedding feast? Yes, we answer with this, that Jesus turned ordinary water into extraordinary wine. It was so good that the host assumed that the best wine had been left to the last. And although that answer would be correct, it misses the point of what John makes 
very clear. See, what happened at that wedding was that Jesus manifested his glory. Put plainly, Jesus demonstrated or showed to those who were there at the wedding that he was more than a man. Yes, he looked like everybody else. Yes, he walked like everybody else. Yes, he spoke like everybody else. He ate like everybody else. And he even slept like everybody else did once he became tired and weary. But at the same time, Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God in the flesh. For we need to understand <coughs> the context of this narrative and it fits in with what John has already said about Jesus in John chapter 1 and we can never ever read these verses too often and I've picked out in particular verses 1 to 3 and verses 14 to 18 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so what we need to understand is this, that the important word in John chapter 2, 11, is the word glory. Jesus manifested his glory. And going back to John chapter 1, we link verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We link that to John chapter 2 and verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. See, in John chapter 1, we discover that John is already declaring not only truth about who Jesus was, and of course still is, the word, God, light, life and who became a man he is also telling us something about what he and the other disciples had seen or witnessed as they had committed themselves to following Jesus and what they had witnessed was this is what John says we have seen his glory and this is what John's gospel is all about which I'll come back to in a moment. But for now, 
in witnessing the miracle that took place at the wedding, it wasn't about the wine. John says what they saw in that miracle was Jesus manifesting his glory. And for them, it was the evidence that they needed that reassured them that Jesus truly was the one sent from God. He was the eternal Son of God who was present amongst them at this wedding. And the word glory, in the context of what John's Gospel is always about, is about revealing something of who Jesus is as the Son of God. And in John 17, Jesus talks about the glory that he shared with the Father in eternity past. And then he talks of the glory that he has revealed while living as a man. And he talks of the glory that he will receive as he finishes his redemptive work and returns back to the Father. And he also talks of the glory which will be passed on to those who believe. For as the disciples came to faith, and as the early believers came to faith, and as we have come to faith, something of the glory of God is revealed in us and displayed through our lives. And this is what we read in John 17. First of all in verses 1 to 5, and then in verses 22 to 24. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, thus the disciples, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And then, on another occasion in John 15, after Jesus spoke about the vine and the branches, he goes on to say there in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, Jesus had said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven and Peter writing his first letter says that we should live and act in such a way that our lives bring glory to God our Father in heaven see what we see is that something of the glory of God 
which was also wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as a man, is also mysteriously and yet wonderfully wrapped up in what we have become as the children of God. And so just as Jesus lived and acted in such a way that he brought glory to God and showed forth the glory of God, so should we seek to be living in such a way that the beauty and the glory of Jesus should be seen in and through each one of us. So this miracle, going back to John chapter 2, the sole purpose of it, the water being changed into wine, was to manifest the glory of God so that the disciples believed in Jesus. And the miracle of our lives being changed and I've used the word that is similar to the word that is used in the hymn because it spoke of sinking sun. So the word that I'm going to use tonight is this miracle and the sole purpose of it, the water being changed into wine, was not just to manifest the glory of God, but it was to demonstrate the miracle of our lives being changed from dirty old stinking sinners to men and women who have been made anew. Men and women who have been born again by the Spirit of God and thus should be manifesting the glory of God so that others around us will come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may have noticed that I've gone through the three parts of John 2.11 backwards. I listed them this way. This the first sign uh, this the first of signs Jesus did, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And so far, I've looked at his disciples believed in him, and manifested his glory, and I will end with the beginning. This, the first of signs Jesus did. And I've left it that way round, because John's gospel has been written in such a way that John's intention is to show that Jesus truly is the Son of God. He was not an imposter. Jesus was the real deal. Jesus was who he claimed to be. He was the Word who is God, and who also became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That is, Jesus truly is fully God, and at the same time, he is fully man. And he did come to be the light in the midst of darkness. He is the promised and hopeful Christ, the Messiah. And he did, as we heard mentioned this morning, come to be, as John the Baptist declared, the Lamb of God, who through his sacrifice would become the Lamb slain for the sins of the world. And John, as he sets out to write this gospel, intends to show this to us, by revealing signs through this gospel or evidences that will convince and lead to belief. Let's read John 2.11 again. This, the first of signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This the first of his signs. And then, 
when we come to the end of John's Gospel and John chapter 20 and verses 30 to 31 this is what John says now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name and so the turning of the water into wine was the first of many signs that Jesus did and I'm going to come back to these verses again on another occasion and look at some of the other signs that are recorded in this gospel but today I want to conclude with some thoughts and bring an application for us the first sign that John records we call it the first miracle that Jesus did that of changing water into wine has important significance because it can point to so many spiritual things it points to the new replacing the old it talks about the new being better than the old such as the new covenant replacing the old covenant and there's no doubt that the new is far better than the old I've mentioned it before and I think Ian mentioned it just recently as well imagine us coming on a Sunday morning and we've got to bring our own sacrifice a lamb a bullock a goat a dove a pigeon and one by one we've got to come and it's got to be sacrificed at the front of this church not very pleasant not at all <coughs> gruesome and everything else but Jesus has wiped all that away because he's been the ultimate sacrifice he has come and he's put away the old covenant and he's brought in the new which is far better and what about Jesus being able to take bad tough or difficult circumstances and turn them for good and he does because all things work together for good and whatever we're going through our circumstances however bad however tough however difficult they might be Jesus has the power to turn them for good and this running out of wine was exactly that at a Jewish wedding it was an embarrassment it was shame for the hosting bride and groom but the running out of wine led to an outpouring of the best Jesus can do that in our hearts Jesus can do that in our lives he can turn sorrow he can turn pain he can turn sadness he can turn difficulty into dancing and into joy but I want to consider it this way this evening the fact that Jesus has come to change hearts and lives and to make the old into something brand new and Sandra's already mentioned it this evening and I'm going to quote it again because it's my favourite verse therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away and behold the new has come there's nothing more wonderful than that it's precious it's wonderful and that should be our testimonies tonight as we've come to know Christ we become new creations the old has passed away behold the new has come see Jesus can take hold of that which is not fit for purpose and make it into something 
that is fit for purpose. See, water would have been unacceptable at the Jewish wedding. The water that was poured into the pots was not fit for purpose. One, because it wasn't wine, which is what they would have been expecting. And two, it was possibly dirty and contaminated water. And if it had still been the same old water, when the servants poured it into the cups, or whatever the guests were using to drink from, the celebration would have turned sour. And even further, there may have been angry words, and it may even have turned into an uproar. And you and I are unacceptable to God as we are. That is, as sinners, we are not fit for anything. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags, but Christ has shed forth his shed blood. And it's such good news, the gospel. He shed forth his precious blood, and we come to him as empty vessels. We come to him as sinners, and he is shed blood as it's poured into our lives. It changes us into vessels that are fit for purpose, and our lives then are able to be poured out as a living sacrifice because we become men and women that are changed and transformed, and we bring glory to his wonderful name. But the problem is that we're still human. Every one of us, we're still human. And we still allow our lives to become contaminated. We still allow our lives to become clogged up. We still do. We, do, we still do things. We still say things. We still act in ways that are unbecoming to bringing glory to God. And not only out to the outside to the unbelievers, we can be like it with one another. As we act in different ways with one another, what we need to do is to keep coming back to the Saviour, knowing that if we confess our sin, He is willing and He's able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And maybe there are times when we feel that the wine has stopped flowing in our lives. I get that gut someday. When I feel that the wine has stopped flowing, we become dry. And yet at the same time, we know we are thirsty. And we keep trying to draw from the wrong supply, the water of this world that is contaminated and unable to satisfy. And what we need to be doing is to come back to the one who is a source of living water. And we need to allow him to fill us afresh and we will know the new wine of the Holy Spirit refreshing us again and bringing spiritual health and vitality back to our souls, causing us to rejoice and to be glad. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 says, <coughs> And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. <coughs> But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, I think that Paul is using an analogy here. When he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, I think as well he is saying, instead, I'm adding the word in here because I fits, it fits in what I think is the analogy that Paul is given, don't get drunk with wine, 
which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the wine of the Holy Spirit. We keep, we say, be filled with the Spirit. I think Paul is saying, be filled with the wine of the Holy Spirit. Notice the contrast. Drunk with wine leads to debauchery. And I'm sure we've all witnessed what happens when someone gets drunk. It can lead to all sorts of evil. It can lead to shame. It can lead to disrepute. People living with regret afterwards because of what they may have said or done. And wine leads to an uncontrolled nature. It leads to an uncontrolled tongue. And it can lead to an uncontrolled temper. And instead, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And I believe in the analogy that I'm using, Paul is making here. He's saying, instead, be filled with the wine of the Spirit. And why be filled with the wine of the Spirit? Because it leads to greater and far better things. It leads to a life that is filled with praise and thanks. It leads to a life that is joyful, giving melodious worship. And it leads to a life that's showing due respect for one another. And instead will lead to bringing glory to God. See, the wine of the Spirit leads to a life that is full of the fruit of the Spirit. What a contrast to a life that is filled with wine that leads to debauchery. And I know which way I want to go, which way I prefer. And that is that I desire that my life is a life that is evident of a life that is filled with the wine of the Holy Spirit. So really, as I prepared this this week, it took me back to what I shared last Sunday morning and again on Friday evening, that we need to keep bringing ourselves back to the Lord Jesus Christ as empty water jars. I've used empty vessels last week, but in context with the story from John chapter 2, we need to keep bringing ourselves as empty water jars to allow Jesus to fill us with living water so that our lives become filled with the wine of the Holy Spirit and we bring pleasure and joy to our Heavenly Father and at the same time to those around us and our lives are lived in such a way that it brings glory to God. And just as Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him, I believe that as we live lives that are filled with his power, with the wine of the Holy Spirit, and we live in such a way that it brings glory to God, Others will see it, and they too will come to believe in Jesus. May God help us, me as well, to live in such a way that I keep coming back like an empty water pot, and I allow him to fill me afresh. As he fills me afresh, my life is poured out to bring praise and glory to his name. Amen.